Hello, and welcome to another episode of Freight to the Point. I'm Lucy Phillips, Zen Cargo's Chief Operations Officer, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Okai Ostergram, VP of Supply Chain Europe at Spreetail, one of Zen Cargo's very valued customers. Spreetail is an e-commerce company specialised in selling a wide range of products through various online platforms, including their own website, as well as Amazon and eBay. Today, we're going to be diving into the world of e-commerce supply chains and how to optimise strategies to work towards business goals. So, welcome, Okai. Hi, Lucy. Nice to meet you. Thanks again. It's so excited to have you on, on the podcast. Um, so do you want to start, give a quick introduction to yourself, uh, to our listeners? I'm holding a role VP Supply Chain Europe since two years in the uh, Spreetail in the UK office and managing uh, Europe operations from end-to-end supply chains. I'm coming from a career which is uh, more than 20 years in 3PL logistics world, worked in very different logistics companies uh, from regional to global ones. And uh, in the last 13 years, uh, I hold the C-level roles, either as a CEO or VP in different organizations, and then manage the global trade in container, transportation, tracking, and uh, warehousing and distribution and fulfillment. I had a chance to see a lot of uh, angles of the logistics and then sum up the experiences. Now I'm using these experiences and the being on the shipper side of the game and then managing our own logistics. And clearly got a lot of supply chain experience to, to bring to the table. So, yeah. well, well, let's dive in then with a, okay. with a very, with a very easy first question. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so given all of your experience, how would you say the world of e-commerce has evolved over the past few years? I've been in the e-commerce uh, uh, industry nearly last four or five years, especially begin from the Germany of a, a mid-sized company being the CEO of Germany and then being, be, becoming the Spital on a more, more global perspective. And uh, I was just right in the middle of uh, in the COVID times that we call a kind of pandemic uh, situation. And even before the, pan, uh, before the pandemic, e-commerce e has a little bit uh, above average growth rates as an industry compared to the uh, 3PL logistics. And it was always a compound growth rate average between 10 to 15% year on year. But uh, COVID has accelerated is enormously because everybody was sitting at home and then there's nothing to do. And then uh, we all shopped all possible things uh, through online. We did, we did. Some of yeah. us more than others, but yes, yes, we yeah. did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it was easy for us. And then uh, that, that's why they give a bump to uh, e-commerce industry nearly uh, becoming a 30% of growth rates uh, that we have seen in the 21 and 22. And that, that was a little bit misleading uh, because when everybody thought that, oh, now e-commerce is really getting accelerated and then took an attention from different angles, like the investors and all the companies, even with the 3PL organizations has emerged into area and then saying that, oh, that's a lucrative area, is a high growth area. Why would we are not adding also the e-commerce services? But it requires a, a different setup and competency base. Now we've we seen in beginning with the 22 and 23, the market is just stabilized. I mean, like, uh, we're back from the pandemic and then now we're seeing that the, the again, 10-ish kind of uh, percentage growth rates again in normal pace. And even uh, from the last two years, uh, when the global environment has changed and then the war has started in Ukraine and also the global political situation and the inflationary environment with the high interest rates impacted the customer and consumer behaviors and then we're seeing that in some uh, months or some seasons, it's really diminishing or being stable. It is volatile. I mean, it's not like a 
steady growth, but it's a volatile and depending on the season, there are some even seasonal art, uh, articles or SKUs that are really selling well due to spatial situations or some season they're not selling well as you're supposed to be. So it's a kind of volatile uh, VUCA environment now, also in the e-commerce. I think the uh, industry has been stabilized coming from a high inventory uh, levels into a more stabilized inventory levels. And now the supply chain disruptions also globally happening uh, the, the longer lead times has also come to with an impact of becoming more shorter uh, and frequent lead, lead times from the inventories. That's what that's happening now in the e-commerce market. And these are obviously creating, you know, challenges for supply chains. I mean, exactly. is there any, you know, uh, I mean, you, you touched on quite a few there. Do you feel like, I mean, the consumer behavior has changed quite dramatically after the after lockdown or you said that it's stabilized but do you feel like now there is more yeah i think it's changed uh, i think i think it's changed uh, because in, in the lockdown uh, there were a lot of items uh, which were not selling well like the uh, lifestyle outdoor or uh, the home related SKUs or products now uh, when the lockdown was very good and running but now we're seeing that since the lockdown is back and then everybody's traveling and then doing different things and then and also the cost of living crisis added a different uh, uh, modality into the buying behaviors. And for example, in the winter time, people thinking that the, the, the gas bills are really super enormous and then they stop using the gas and then go into kind of old fashioned <laughs> heating uh, products. Really? Yeah, yeah, like the chimneys and the fire logs and then maybe even the uh, electrical heating machines and rather than using the gas. And then that's the kind of substitute items that we're seeing that, oh, why this item is selling too, too well? I mean, in this winter, middle of winter, because of the cost of living. And then we can relate it to on the cost of consumer behaviors is dramatically changed. Now, I think the consumers are really more cautious. They are not uh, spending for the sake of spending. They're just on a need basis and then checking the prices everywhere. Clearly, a lot of challenges over the past few yeah. years then. It's been, as you said, I think volatile was the, the correct word to use there. Mm -hmm. um, let, let's pivot a little and let's, you know, we've set the scene. Let, let's talk a bit more about strategies within supply chain. Sure. And so if we're thinking about outbound strategies, mm -hmm. what would you say are the key components of a successful outbound strategy for, for an e-commerce business? What would you be recommending? Outbound strategy is still unsolved issue and pain in the uh, e-commerce and last mile deliveries uh, because of the fact that the product dimensions and all the the networks are not still one-to-one -one match it's due to the fact that for example there are strict rules in the europe uh, even the uk like between zero to 30 kg items running still on the parcel range and which is like a courier can bring into the home in a in a faster or uh, the other modality but uh, what is about 30 kilo and uh, which we call a gray zone or two-man handling uh, mm -hmm. items are still the networks are not mature in the, in the parcel area we saw a lot of players in the market that are dominating with their their established networks which then we can offer next day deliveries even in some markets but if you go to the big and bulky area which we are uh, playing a little bit intentionally in that targeted way because it's hard to handle and it's hard to ship and then uh, since the two-man handling area has been literally done by two men as a courier, it's a different network, it's a different handling. You cannot use the sorting machines uh, in your establishment. So you need to make an appointment, which we call indirect shipments. 
and you need to call the consumers and then make an appointment for, for deliveries, which makes it extra difficult. And then the delivery times are not still favorable. So we cannot talk about the next days in this range, uh, sometimes three to five days of delivery cycles. And also with different issues, like the consumers not at home because they're not committing to, to their appointments. Sometimes the, the products are coming back with uh, additional costs. I think those are the challenges in the outbound area. And then in terms of strategy, the e-commerce retailer really needs to look into this their business in a skew level, not as a holistic level, and then make the analysis and use the AI and other uh, uh, algorithms in the uh, engines, which we call shipping rules, because it is not possible if you have running more than 500 SKUs in your portfolio and in the warehouse, and then it's not a manual work. It's the, the computer or the software needs to decide on the shipping rule if you give the dimensions and weight and then put on the cost. And then the decision comes with the which cost is the optimized in which carrier. And then also thinking about the service levels. I like the, uh, some, uh, some companies like us is very dominant on Prime, 70% of our business on Amazon Prime. So it's a, there's a strict delivery promise of next day. And so we need to meet, in order to meet that, we need to use specific carriers. So uh, there, there's also a kind of uh, imperative coming from the marketplaces into the customers. So you're bound to use some specific carriers in the outbound. And how diverse do you keep your outbound carriers? Like, are you going wide or are you got a few selected that you trust and work with, especially with Prime? I'm, I'm assuming that's very time sensitive. How do, you, how do you make that choice? For Prime, definitely there are less options. I mean, the markets like sometimes at most two to three carriers are eligible for Prime and you need to use them and then you need to create a kind of outbound mix, which we call through the carriers and then manage your cost versus skew mix in an intelligent way. And also the capacities, you manage the capacity because of the peak times, for example, uh, if you're running really you know, on high orders, then you have, uh, if you're not planning the capacity and forecast properly and, and bet on only one carrier, then it might be exceeding the uh, trailer capacity. And then you cannot ship out the goods, on, which we call OTS metric. And then you just miss the prime on the next, next week. So it's very strict and you need to make a, proper planning, proper outbound capacity planning for your prime orders to be meeting the promised delivery criteria. But on the other field, you're not too much bound to the prime, but uh, there's the mix of carriers also playing on those areas that probably the ideal way is keeping uh, at most four to five uh, carriers in your portfolio, not to differentiate too much because then you, you won't have the buying power because you split the volumes and then if you're not committing to your volume commitments, then your charge will be higher in the next year. So they say kind of nice mix and then nice concentration and rely on the carrier mix so that everybody will be happy with the business and the win situation. You touched earlier on, um, you know, the, the difference between sort of the larger two-man delivery and then those under 30 kg. Uh, I'm interested to know a bit more about retail strategy because I know that you guys have found a way to balance uh, speedy deliveries with cost efficiency. Can you talk just a little bit more about, about what you've done there um, and the advice you would give? Our selling proposition always from our mother company from the US from the beginning, always faster deliveries. I mean, we're, we're coming, we're making brands successful in the marketplaces with the uh, faster delivery options to their consumers that are making shopping through the marketplaces. And that's why 
we are very much committed to offer, if possible, the next day or fastest delivery as possible. We've seen that, I mean, this range is only possible in the Europe terms, is between 0 to 30 kg parcel area. And that's why we are keeping our promises to our customers, mostly the free delivery and then next day delivery, more than 80%, is sometimes going to 90% levels in different markets. And to, to commit the fastest delivery option as possible for the consumers. If the customers are uh, buying the out of range product, like going over 30 kg, then uh, the promised delivery will be shown to the consumers definitely. I mean, is the earliest possible. So because we can, I mean, if, if the, if our carrier telling us that, Hey, it in the UK, I can bring this uh, product 50 kg to a consumer within two to three days, then we're committing two to three days. So we're giving just back to back. So we're not over promising. We're not under promising. It's a balance that we're, we're trying to keeping for this uh, big and bulk items, which is especially in the two man handling terms and which we believe that we are using the best carriers in the market as possible so that the consumer uh, experience and also the promised delivery are met. That's, that's our strategy. And then with the, you know, the ever-growing focus on sustainability, how are you incorporating environmentally friendly practices into supply chain strategy, especially when you've got this pressure to meet that customer demand with deliveries? How do you balance the two? As a company, we are aware of the ESG strategies and we are very uh, keen on following them as possible as we can. But due to the nature of our business, I mean, we're dealing with sold products online is always uh, with the boxes and cartons i mean they're they're packed and sometimes there are some products that we buy pack ourselves even to, to make a safe delivery to our customers so what we're trying to do we're trying to keep the extra pack items as low as possible and try to go to manufacturing packing because the, that's the least we can offer and then uh, what we're doing in the markets that we're selling we are subscribing into package recycling programs and we are really paying the fees and then contributing into the system so that environmental impact in the markets that we are selling, for example, in Germany is very strictly follow-up and then you need to be registered uh, into a portal as a, a online retailer. And then you need to submit your number of volumes or cartons you're injecting into the system. That's why we're doing it in a very diligent and compliant way. We're not cheating any system. So that's why we're making it visible, uh, following the compliance uh, procedures in the markets. And uh, we're trying to select as many packed items as possible with the original packagings. And then so that our uh, efforts are impacting less the environment. But on the other transportation side, unfortunately, it's not under our control because we're working with service providers. And I know that in the urban cities, urban deliveries, now there's a strong initiatives going with the electric vehicles and the deliveries is done by the electric vehicles. When they, when they, our service providers are uh, making urban deliveries to the cities, then we're trying to understand what their delivery modalities, like, I mean, how they're using it, but we cannot uh, make them liable or enforce them to use like the, we can only use the electric vehicle companies. That's why it's not in our hands. We're just giving the parcels to be delivered, but it's been, uh, the, we're trying to use the as much as the uh, established companies who are also dealing with strong ESG strategies on the background. That's what I can tell. Where you can control it, you're trying exactly. as much to incorporate it into exactly. a strategy. Yeah. Uh, and then I think that will evolve as well, because as yeah. you say, like more and more of these companies are starting to use green vehicles. So over yeah. time, 
in theory, it should start to align. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's 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 change tack a bit and then and let's talk a bit more about then you know visibility, which you know if we're talking about you know you're working with all these third parties. Um, it's not just e-commerce that faces this problem in terms of having loads of different parties, different suppliers within the supply chain. So how does visibility, you know, from all of your experience, how does that help, you know, help you keep an eye on the prize? How are you helping, how is visibility helping you keep an eye on how suppliers are doing? Tracing and the visibility of the shipments is a very big subject now, especially came up very strongly in the pandemic time because everybody was trying to follow up their shipments and the, the assets and everything, especially in the supply chain. And the new developments and the emerging companies, uh, I mean, like yourself, like the, the traditional forwarders are becoming the digital forwarders and then having a software-based developed establishments and then started tracking the containers around the globe and then from the origin points until the end and then provide this visibility I can see the containers. I mean, where is my container on the on the on the water, and then when it will arrive. And I think the visibility is the two aspects. One of them is the very big aspect for the shipper or receiver is the prediction predictive ETA. I think that's the most important piece. And then to make a better planning, other than unknown uh, future. That's, that's the part that the providing transparent and visibility of this track of shipments is disrupted the industry of having only a company who's in working traditional way and can only provide what the information they want to provide to their shippers. I think that's break it down as and disrupted with the new emerging digital forwarders, new emerging RTV platforms like uh, Project 44 or Shippers of the World. And what they're doing is adding value into the value chain is that from the transport from end to end, then enabling us to track our shipments, even let it be the container or a truck, then we know exactly when it's coming, where is now, and in which process is now. So that was not so much visible in the five years ago, but the developments in the digitalization of the logistics industry helped a lot, especially the software and SIS platforms and it helped to give this visibility and then the industry is emerging now. And, and in order to, you know, this sort of technology like Zencargo, I mean, in order to get it to work for you, obviously it relies heavily on, on data. And if you're working with so many different suppliers, you know, what advice would you be giving to those listening about how to, to get started really? Because pulling that together, getting that quality integrity of data in, into play it really helps. Um, so what advice would you be giving to people who are thinking about going down this path to improve their visibility? I think it's begin from the uh, customer perspective as a shipper or the, or the owner of the transport, I would say. They should now freely request uh, from his service providers. I mean, like, is everybody evolving now on, on this, having a kind of visibility? Some has a really decent uh, high level of visibility. Some has a primitive levels, but at least there's a visibility that can be provided transparently. And this need, needs to be repeatedly requested and uh, becoming subject in the tenders as well. Like, I mean, in a transport request, hey, hi, how I can vis- visualize or track my shipment? And then the service provider needs to able to answer this question by either its own software or the other platforms that they are using as a service provider for themselves and saying with confidently, Here's the shipment. 
is how you place your order. And then this is how we're going to provide you the visibility so that you will get uh, instant emails, you'll get the map uh, locations or whatever the platform or tech, tech they are using. But this should be requested from the shipper side and then embedded into the processes. And then the other piece is the if the company is small, then it could be a kind of person keeping track of it. But if the more users involved, then the the high level or the end level version of it just to integrating the TMSs. I mean, if you have a big system like SAP or big TMS, then you can easily integrate through the uh, visibility and make it visible for the other departments in, in your company so that uh, the warehouse can plan the shipment when they can receive it. They can see the exceptions, they can see the uh, whatever the change of plans or even change their sales and the availability in the market because maybe this product is becoming late so that your launch is late and then and you need to change something in your uh, sales strategy. Yeah, no, that, that that makes sense. Unfortunately, we have to start wrapping up. We've covered so much uh, in the in the short time together, looking at the you know how the e-commerce market has changed and the volatility uh, strategies to try and tackle that, and going deeper into you know visibility and how that can really help uh, a business tackle some of those challenges. Uh, my final question for you today then is, you know, how would you recommend businesses? collaborate with freight forwarders like ourselves or, or partners uh, on these strategies to you know, get the most out of that partnership with those freight forwarders to ensure success? One of the good way of uh, collaboration is uh, understanding the end-to-end -end supply chain of the shippers uh, for the forwarders. And then shippers need to work in a partnership mode rather than purchase mode, because the, the main failure is the shippers are uh, looking into the transportation as a kind of purchase service, or sometimes they, they make the same mistake, they give it only for uh, purchasing departments, just buying a transport or freight. It's actually is more than that. I mean, because of the shipper has the origin points and they, they're vendors, and then there's a whole ecosystem that needs to be analyzed and then to be integrated for an efficient supply chain. I think uh, it's very critical that the shipper open up this in a transparent way into partnership mode and then bring into table, here's my partners, here, here's the origin points that I'm buying the goods. And then and can you analyze my supply chain and then offer me the best option, not only cost, but the, the way of working, like the procedures changes or the way the documentation flow or how to make a total logistics cost better with the improved service. I think that's the mentality that shippers need to have rather than having only one service provider only for end-to-end. Well, unfortunately, we have run out of time, but thank you so much, Akai. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and, and seeing you again. Um, so thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Lucy. I really appreciate the time. And thank you so much to our listeners for joining us for yet another episode of Freight to the Point. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts if you enjoyed this episode. And if you do have any questions or feedback at all, please feel free to reach out to the Zen Cargo team on LinkedIn. We would absolutely love to hear from you. So until next time, thank you very much. Goodbye.